As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. The Miracle of the Mass, a talk by Paul Ellard at the Immaculata Mission School, 2019. There was this Catholic priest and a Jewish rabbi. And as you can all think of about 20 jokes each, right? <laughs> and they're driving along and they have a car accident. And they smash into each other and just write off the cars completely. The cars are just absolute mess, right? The Catholic priest gets out, the Jewish rabbi gets out, and the Jewish rabbi looks at the guy, sees him wearing a collar, and he says, oh, you're a Catholic priest. He says, yeah. He says, well, I'm a Jewish rabbi. He said, look, look at this. The cars are a write-off, and we're not, not a scratch on us. This is a miracle. This is divine providence. You and I, we're meant to be good friends. What do you think, Father? He says, the, rabbi, the Father says, well, sure, Rabbi. I'm, I'm, yeah, we're meant to be. This is a miracle. And he says, and what's more, he says that, I've got a bottle of wine here in the car, and it's not even broken. He said, I think the Lord would want us to celebrate, don't you think, Father? He said, oh, yes, Rabbi, yeah, yeah. So okay. So he hands it to him. So you go first. So he drinks, drinks, drinks half the bottle of wine, and he hands it to the Jewish rabbi, and the rabbi goes, thank you, Father, puts the cap on, puts it down. He said, Father says, aren't you going to have some wine too? He says, oh, I think I'll wait until after the police report's done, and then, <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? I hope there's nobody Jewish here. But, uh, sorry, oh, Jesus is Jewish. Sorry, Jesus. <clears throat> a, nun, a nun was in class and she asked the little kids, why, why, why are we quiet in church? Miss, sister, sister, sister. Yes, why are we quiet in church? Because people are sleeping. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Mass today, and I hope you're not one of those who sleeps in Mass. I have to admit, there has been an odd time in a homily where I've been very fatigued and I've slept. And it's probably my own fault because I shouldn't be that fatigued. But, um, so, uh, yes, I'm as guilty as all of us. All right, so today we want to talk about the Mass about the Holy Eucharist. We could spend this whole mission school just talking about the Mass. It's a huge topic. So why is it a huge topic? Because it represents the whole of the Christian faith. So, and because it represents the whole of the Christian faith, we say, you know, faith is a gift. Oh, the Mass is a gift. The Mass is a huge gift. You know, I once heard a guy say, he had this near-death experience and he, he spoke to Jesus and he goes around the world talking about his near-death experience. One of the things he said was, he said, God loves everybody in the world exactly the same. Does not have any favourites. He loves everybody the same. But there's one group of people who have a responsibility because they've been given a special gift and they are the Catholics. That's you and I here. We have this gift, and the Mass is right at the forefront and the very heart of what this gift is. If you have a problem with Mass, and I think we've, we've be honest, we all have, and time and 
You know, we, we can pray for the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Because the Holy Spirit wants to enlighten you and wants to help you to penetrate into this wonder of wonders. And I hope at the end of this talk, you will never, ever say, I find Mass boring. All right? That's, that's, if we achieve that today, uh, I'll be very happy, and I'm sure the Lord will be happy. We'll all be happy. So, because there's so much to say, but nevertheless, there's still lots of good things we can say, and we're going to look into just, it's going to be just an introduction of the Mass. You know, we could just go into the parts of the Mass, divide it up, and we could spend the whole course just doing that. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to do an overview, but just so you really have, start to begin a love and a hunger for the Mass. And when you love and hunger the Mass, you'll want to go more, you'll want to go deeper, and you'll appreciate what it is. So, the other day, uh, was it in Scripture, or somebody commented, um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember that line? You're like, Nazareth? Well, I like to think of earth, what earth is to the universe is what Nazareth was to the surrounding areas. Okay? But when you think about it, see, this is the way the atheists say there is no God because why would there just be us in this? We're just this little speckle of nothing. Say, amen, brother, that's exactly the way the Lord works. He takes the little, the small, the humble, and turns it into something amazing. We talk about the vastness of the universe, right? The earth is just a drop in the ocean of the universe, and our God is a God of the universe, And this universe is so immense that it's impossible for us to imagine, as we've just seen. But our God is so huge that not even this universe can contain him. Now, does that. Now, when I use that expression, the God of the universe, I hope you will go, wow, that means something now, not just a throwaway line. God is beyond every star, every planet, every galaxy. Yet God humbles himself at every mass to take on the form of bread and wine. Why? So he can be with us. Man. Why? Why would God do this? What possible reason could the God of the universe have to have the audacity to be so humble and lower himself to such a degree. What possible reason? Love. 100% genuine, unconditional love. Your God is madly in love with you. Whoa. And this is what happens at every single Mass. Scott Hahn says that at every single Mass is literally heaven on earth. This is not just a nice, cute little expression. This is a reality, and we're going to unpack it a bit. No matter how uncomfortable your experience of Mass might be, whether it's screaming babies or hymns sung off-key, we don't get any of that here, of course, but I'm sure you've been where you have, maybe pointless meandering homilies 
or neighbours dressed like they're going to the beach, all kinds of distractions and annoyance, doesn't matter. Every single Mass is heaven on earth. The Mass is about something that is objectively true. Most of it, most of us will admit we want to get more out of Mass, right? You can't get any more than heaven on earth, right? It's already there. So if we can just become perceptive of this heaven on earth, then we really will get a lot out of Mass. You know, Catholics say, I'm going to Mass. Protestants say, Mass what? Mass hysteria? What is this? We go to church. What are you going to Mass, right? Where do we get this term Mass from? Well, in the Latin rite, the priest at the end, in, in, in Latin, my Latin's not great, Ite massa est, go, it has been sent, translates literally. So it's the, at the end of Mass, we get the term Mass, go and you have been sent. You might think, oh, that's a strange name to call the whole heaven on earth, you know, you have been sent. But Pope Benedict XVI kind of expanded these words and he helped us to understand what the church's focus on this. He says that in antiquity, a missae simply meant dismissal, right? But over time, the Christian usage took on a different meaning. The word dismissal has been come to apply mission. You have a mission at the end of Mass. You've just received the God of the universe. Now go in peace to spread that to the world. So Pope Benedict sort of, instead of seeing this at like the conclusion of the celebration, the Pope saw this farewell as the beginning of Mass when we take it out into the world. And the Pope actually approved, you've heard these, go and announce the gospel of the Lord, go in peace glorifying the Lord by your life. So these are two in the new missals that are expressions that are approved by Pope Benedict. Now when I talk about the Mass, I should put a little qualifying term here, this is the Eucharistic, the name given to the Eucharistic celebration in the Latin rite. Right? Most of us here belong to the Latin rite. But the Catholic Church is a pretty big ship, right? We have the Latin rite, but we also have Maronite, Melkite, Ukrainian rite, Benzentine. There's a whole heap of others, right? So if you belong to one of those other rites, um, please don't feel like I'm excluding you, I'm not. This all applies, but I'm just going to use the word mass and you'll know what I mean. It, it covers the broad Eucharistic liturgies of all the different Catholic rites. Okay, so let's start. Let's, where do we start with the Mass? Well, we need to make sure it's scriptural. Let's go back to Scripture. And we look in um, Abraham, the Old Testament. 4,000 years ago, the story of Abraham. God asked Abraham to offer his only son Isaac... Offer him up in the land of Moriah. So Isaac carries on his back the wood for the sacrifice. But as soon as you know the story, as soon as Abraham picks up the knife, ready to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom you might remember he was barren for so many years and he pleaded with God and suddenly God gives him this son and now God's asking him to sacrifice. But what? Abraham is faithful picks up the knife, and of course the angel of God intervenes and says, stop, 
do not go ahead with this. So, we you know, we talk about um, prefiguring different types in the Bible. And Abraham and Isaac, they prefigure Jesus. Like, I'll show you what I mean. I, Isaac, like Jesus, is the only begotten son, only beloved son. Calvary, where Jesus died, was one of the hills of Mount Moriah. Did you know that? Jesus carried the wood of the cross on his back, just like Isaac carried the wood. But there's one crucial difference. Instead of Isaac being offered up, God intervenes and says, don't you offer up your only son. I'll offer up my only son to show you how much I love you. Wow. God of the universe. All right. Jesus, of course, is the only begotten Son of God. He's perfect. He's innocent. He would repair for the entire human race the sins of the world. We go into the New Testament and we discover, we use that term, Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? 28 times that word lamb is used over 22 chapters. If we were to list the titles we have of God, we have Lord, God, Saviour, Messiah, King, Priest, Prophet, Lion of Judah, and Lamb. Like, hello? Are you sure you read that right? Lamb? Lion of Judah, you know, roaring. Lamb? Last time I looked, we, we didn't kind of fear lambs or thought them as being dominant or king of the, the jungle. Why does Jesus call us the Lamb? Well, a very good reason. It links back again to the Old Testament. And this time we look at the Passover event of the Old Testament. And it's a pivotal moment that prefigured what would come in Jesus' time, the Eucharist. God instructed every Israelite family to sacrifice an unblemished lamb without broken bones, to kill it and sprinkle its blood on the doorpost. You know the story, right? And the Israelites had to eat that lamb. If they did all those things, the firstborn would be spared. The angel of death went around and cut down the firstborn of every family who did not do this. But note, it included eating the lamb. You couldn't just um, kill it, sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and say, oh, I'm vegetarian, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm sorry, you wake up in the morning, your firstborn's gone. Huh? You, this, you had to eat the lamb. So, and this remembering of the night of the Passover has been passed down from ages to ages. And to this very day, it's the most important feast in the Jewish uh, uh, timetable. So think of it, you know, it starts to all make sense. It's, it's, it's going back thousands of years, this being prepared. St. John makes it clear that in the new and definitive Passover, Jesus is both priest and victim. He offers to the Father the victim, which is in fact his very self. You know, we say the body and blood. Why do we use that term body and blood? 
Because if you separate body and blood, you have a corpse, you have a sacrifice. So when body and blood is separate, that person has died. And this brings home to the point of Jesus' death for us. So just as in the old covenant, it's not enough that Jesus bled and died for our sake. For us to have eternal life, we need to play our part. If we want to make a, be a part of this covenant of God, we need to renew this covenant. And we do this by eating the lamb. The paschal lamb, which is our unleavened bread. Scripture says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Okay, so we want to look at, you know, when the priest says the Mass, the words of consecration. What are the words of consecration? This is where the bread and wine change into the body and blood of Jesus. Where do we get this? We didn't make it up. We got it out of Scripture. So, you see the, um, the Scripture lines here. Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In those scriptures there. Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you. Why? For, so that sins may be forgiven. For you and for many. Some people got upset about for many. They wanted for all. But the reality is not all people will be saved. Not because of, there's not enough grace, not because God doesn't want it, but because of their own choice to reject. Make sure you're one of the many. And then the command, do this in memory of me. This is a command, do this. Right? Not many places where Jesus lays it out, but specifically here, he called this. And that's what we've been doing for 2,000 years. Think about it. If God was going to create an event that would be the event, the only event that would allow all of humanity to come to heaven and live with him as his children, you'd expect this event to be pretty important, wouldn't you? You would expect God to say, well, hey, this is going to have to be something really special. And this is going to be something I want to insist that everybody does because the grace that's in it, they will not realise it until they get to heaven. And we won't. We won't realise the fullness of the grace of Mass until we get to heaven. So that's what he does. He calls us to this supreme act of worship, this supreme act of sacrifice, and it's grounded in love. Did you catch that? Is it sunk into your head or more importantly your heart? It's all about love, love, love. The word Eucharistic, in Greek it's Eucharistica, it means thanksgiving. That's why we call it the Eucharist, this supreme act of love, this supreme act of sacrifice. We just come with humble hearts. Thanksgiving seems so paltry. But we do. We give thanksgiving with everything that we have. Can you see why God calls everyone to participate in this th event we call Mass? And even if he says just once on a Sunday, if you can't muster up enough gratitude in your heart, 
or at least desire to be fed from the treasures of heaven, then understand that God takes your rejection fairly seriously. And that's why to miss Mass on a Sunday is a mortal sin, right? It's like, it's like a slap. Like somebody lays down their life for you and you can't even just say, oh, thanks. Like, whew. If we can't spare one hour out of 168 hours, then something's very long wrong with our understanding of what love is and what gratitude is. Some of the most basic human traits that we all hope we have. If we make our love and our gratitude for God's love habit-forming, good habits are only formed through repetition. Repeated good habits created spontaneously, we call them virtues. And virtues is another name for holiness. Have you ever met of a parent who tires of hearing their child say, thank you, or I love you. Anyone found any parents ever seen or heard a parent that said, stop saying thank you or stop saying I love you, you've told me enough today. How many times do you have to repeat it? We all laugh, right? It's ridiculous, right? Well, how do you think the God of the universe feels? He's humbled himself to come down like this and he doesn't, he just, all he wants is I love you, I thank you, come to Mass on Sunday, give one hour of your time. It's not much. The Mass, or the liturgy of the Mass, is very structured. Why do we do that? Well, we learnt that routines work in practice. Ask any successful sports person, any successful businessman, order makes life more peaceful, more effective, and more efficient. Notice how the Mass engages the whole body, right? The body, the soul, and the spirit, right? The church uses things like sights, vestments, colours, sounds of music, chants, bells, and even the smell of incense. It's all attacking our senses, and in our body, we, we bow, we kneel, we stand, we sit, we use icons. All these things. Scott Hunt says, Catholics don't just hear the gospel. In the liturgy, we hear it, see it, taste it, and smell it. Taste it through the Eucharist. Wow. Are you starting to get excited about Mass now? Right? It's starting to unpack just a little. The Mass is divided broadly into two parts, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. And these halves are further divided into specific rituals. The Liturgy of the Word becomes the entrance, the introductory rites, the penitential rites where we ask for forgiveness, and the readings from the Scriptures. And the Liturgy of the Eucharist begins with the Offertory, the Eucharistic Prayer, the Communion Rite, and the concluding rite. So although there are many actions, there's one offering. And there's one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which renews our covenant with God the Father. If there's one word that captures the meaning of the Mass, 
It's mercy. Don't ever let people tell you the Catholic Church does not call Catholics to be Bible Christians. At every Sunday Mass, do you realize that you hear over 120 scripture texts? You heard it today. Over 120 scripture texts. Just about every line in the Mass is from scripture. It's a very good book on, written by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers called The Mass in Sacred Scripture. He goes right into this. It'll be in the notes so you can, you can look it up when you get a chance. If you went to Mass every day for three years, do you understand how the Mass readings work? There's a cycle of three years. So you don't hear the same Scriptures until the three years and then it starts again, the different cycle. So if you went to Mass every day for three years, you would hear over 70% of the New Testament and over 15% of the Old Testament. That's pretty significant. And most Protestant pastors admit, most Protestant pastors pick out their favourite scriptures, a handful, and they just preach on those all the time. And so you ask the Protestants, they know those scriptures backwards, but they don't have a, in a broader context. In a Catholic Mass, you will get this. Now, it's not to mean you don't read the scriptures outside of Mass. Certainly you do. But what I'm saying is, make sure you don't buy that line that we don't, we're not connected with the Bible. And you've already seen the Mass is grounded in the Bible and, and the Mass itself. Okay. Scott Hahn says that the Bible's natural habitat is in the liturgy. St. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing. Note that he did not say faith comes from reading. In the early centuries of the church, there were no printing presses. And people could not afford to have the Gospels copied out by hand. And many people couldn't read. My great-grandfather could not read. Right? So where did the average humble Christian learn the gospel? As then and today, in the Mass. That's where they got their full gospel. Don't go looking for entertaining homilies. Don't go to the parish that tells lots of funny jokes or is entertaining or... Right? Homilies don't have to entertain us. You know, Jesus comes to us in humble, tasteless wafer. So the Holy Spirit can even work through a lacklustre homily. Might just say that one or two words that speaks right to your heart. When we receive Holy Communion, we commune with Jesus in a very intimate way. Think about it. We become one with the body of Christ. When we eat our vegetables, our fruit or whatever, what happens? It dissolves and breaks down into our body. When we receive the Eucharist, we get transformed into the body of Christ. You see, there are just mind-boggling realities here. And we just need to not be flippant, but to penetrate... You know, I think this whole theme all this week is taking the obvious but going into it and really opening it up to say, this marvels here. Love one another as I have loved you. Remember, the Mass is once for all. 
Hebrews 10.10, 10, right? The perfect sacrifice of Calvary, which is presented on heaven's altar for all eternity. Mass is not a repeat performance of Calvary. We do not kill Jesus again, right? There is only one sacrifice, but it's perpetual and eternal, and that's why it never needs to be repeated. The Mass is our participation in that one eternal sacrifice. Do you get it? Jesus did it once for all. We come every week so that that's our participation in this one eternal sacrifice. And Scripture says in the book of Revelations, the Lamb stands eternally as if slain. The Lion of Judah and all those great things. But Jesus also says that I am the Lamb. As if I stand in eternity as if slain. A humble little lamb, a little baby. What's he trying to tell us here? Are we getting it? He loves us. And look, don't be afraid to love me. I'm like a little baby. I just go gaga gaga and and smile back. And don't be afraid to hug me or pat me because I'm like a little lamb. Just go brr, you know. You can see, you know what I mean? Like we we take these things for granted and we don't penetrate what they mean, what he's calling us to do. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that the Paschal mystery of Christ, that's the cross, Easter thing, the whole Easter event, death and resurrection is an actual event in history that did occur. But it differs from all other historical events because they all happen once and pass away, swallowed up as time passes. By contrast, the Paschal mystery cannot remain only in the past. All that Christ is, all that he did and suffered for men, participates in the divine eternity and so transcends all time while being present in them all. The event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything towards life. The grace of the Mass is infinite. Why? Because it's all the grace of heaven. The only limit is our capacity to receive. This is why St. Padre Pio used to prepare for Mass for three hours. Most of us haven't got time to do three hours. But I'm telling you, if you come in and just prepare for 20 minutes or half an hour before Mass... You know, that mass will just be whoa, really rich. And the more time you can spend, the depth you'll get in that mass. We'll talk more about the practicalities of mass a little bit later. The martyrs who give their life for Christ, they are the ones who speak from the altar. They are the ones who literally lay down their lives. That Nature of love, that true nature of love, means self-sacrifice. If I'm loving and I'm giving and I want something back, you have to question the degree, the degree of my sincerity, the degree of my love. If I'm giving and getting nothing back, wow, that's love. And of course the martyrs do that and have done that. Most of us do not get to face death in that kind of martyrdom. 
but we can do things and gestures which help us to die to ourselves. You know, we can make that sacrifice, which is just a little dying of a, of a, of a desire or whatever. And if we do it with love, it has great value. When we receive Holy Communion, remember we do not receive a thing. We do not receive a wafer. We do not even receive a bread. We receive a person, a living, alive person. Jesus is alive and he loves us. We look at the angel of Fatima. You might remember at Fatima before Our Lady appeared. The angel of Fatima appeared to the children playing in the ground and called them to prayer. And what happened was um, a chalice and a host were suspended in the air and the angel prostrated himself down and told them to pray this prayer um, in adoration of Jesus in the Eucharist. These things are real. You might not be able to physically lie down and prostrate yourself at Mass, but you can do it in your heart. And I had a personal experience that I don't want to share, but I'm telling you this has great value when you prostrate yourself interiorly before the Lord Jesus. Just see yourself outstretched before the Lord and adore him and worship him. The graces that will fall from you are in abundance. I knew a priest, I met him on pilgrimage in Europe. We were chatting in a coffee shop and he was telling me before he became a priest, um, he, he was a, his father was a Baptist minister. And he said, before I became a priest, I, um, I was dating this girl, before I was even Catholic, he said, I was dating this girl and I was thinking about joining the Catholic Church. And I was telling my girlfriend what Catholics believe about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And she said to him, Jeff, I don't believe this. It's a lot of rubbish. But she said, I'll tell you what. If I believed that Jesus was truly present in that Eucharist, she said, I would crawl on my hands and knees to receive communion. Here's somebody who doesn't believe, who has got the insight to realise, well, if that's the case, then it demands this response. Not, thanks, love, you know. Powerful stuff. I never forgot it. It's amazing. I've told that story, I don't know how many times, and you couldn't believe, I've actually heard that story come back to me. And I'm thinking, that's my story. <laughs> From that coffee shop, it's gone right around the world. and come back. All right. Remember the word Bethlehem, right? House of bread. There's no coincidence. This is a God coincidence. St. John Paul II said, we need to cultivate a lively awareness of Christ, a real presence, and we should take care to show that the awareness through our tone of voice, gestures, posture, bearing, so in other words, when we come up to receive Jesus, you know, we, we've got to be in the right frame of mind. It opens the whole question. Should we receive communion on the tongue? Should we be on the hand and all of this? And, um, you know, the church gives us that kind of decision to move and there's lots of good points of communion on the tongue. 
But I, from my point of view, I'm kind of I'm going to walk the middle ground, and I'm going to quote Saint, um, not Saint, not yet, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. He's discussing on how to receive Holy Communion, and he emphasised, and this is you can apply this to lots of teachings in the Church. Instead of arguing about whether it's better to receive kneeling, standing, on the hand, or in the tongue, we need to focus on the spirit of reverence. The spirit of reverence which the early church fathers taught the church in the way us to receive communion. And he urged priests, exercise tolerance to recognize the decision of each person. Pope Benedict goes on to ask everyone to exercise the same tolerance and not to cast aspersions on anyone who may have adopted for a different way of receiving communion. But the important thing is reverence, right? This is his exact words. It is quite wrong to argue about this or that form of behaviour. We should be concerned only to argue in favour of a reverence in the heart, an inner submission before the mystery of God. Only Pope Benedict writes like that. An inner submission before the mystery of God. If you ever read his stuff, he's brilliant. He just writes short sentences that just, wow, capture it in a few words. He's a brilliant writer. And, he's, and the Pope went on to say, he reminded us that until the ninth century, uh, communion was given in the hand standing. And he said that doesn't mean that we have to do it that way all the time. The church grows and understands the mystery more profoundly, enters into that. That's good. All right. So, you got the point? It's about reverence. It's about reverence. You choose which way you do. I know the sisters, they like to receive on the tongue. And as I said, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But you pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to St. Faustina, Oh, how painful it is to me that souls so seldom unite themselves to me in Holy Communion. Jesus is saying this to a nun who's in the community of sisters, telling her, that it's so sad that so few souls receive him. I wait for souls and they are indifferent toward me. I love them tenderly and sincerely and they distrust me. I want to lavish my graces upon them and they do not want to accept them. They treat me as a dead object, whereas my heart is full of love and mercy. This technical name that we give when the bread and wine become the body and blood, we call it transubstantiation. The bread and wine still look the same after the priest's consecration prayer as it did before, but we, we believe that Jesus has become present. Body, blood, soul and divinity. Each, the Catechism says, each Mass is a foretaste of that heavenly liturgy where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, the minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. With all the warriors of the heavenly army, we sing a hymn to the glory of the Lord. So think about it. When you say Mass in your little parish, or we hear or wherever, we are uniting with that one eternal heaven, heavenly liturgy that anticipates his eternal life. And when we say holy, 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 
Just remember, there are angels in heaven resounding this with you. Some of you know Father Anthony Bernard. He's a good friend of mine, a lovely holy priest. He's always saying this. When Mass is being offered, you're not saying it alone. There are angels and saints. And when you bring your gifts up for the offertory, he, he talks about, I forget, it was a saint or someone who had a vision of all the guardian angels, of all those present, coming up with gifts. And some came up empty-handed. Right? So make sure your guardian angel is not empty-handed when he comes up to the offertory. Tell him, guardian angel, bring me and my family to the Lord. Lay our lives down on the Lord. Ask the grace, implore from the, all the treasures of heaven to pour out his love and mercy on me and whatever special intention you want to pray for in that Mass. Wow. I'll tell you a story about that. I was on pilgrimage with Father Anthony, and all through the pilgrimage, he's telling us about this. You know, don't forget, at every Mass, the angels and saints are present. We went to um, a church, a little, oh, oh, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, this little place. Not all of us went. Um, but Father Anthony went with a few of, the, few of the people from the trip. And one of the girls came up to me afterwards and said, she said, you couldn't believe it was a stinking hot day. It was like worse than this, right? And you couldn't believe, she said, we were in the church. And she said, I sat in the church, no windows, nothing. It was really hot. And she said, I, I closed my eyes and I had the sense someone was sitting behind me. And she thought, oh, this is weird. And she turns around, there's nobody there. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, close her eyes again. She feels this cool breeze, looks around, no windows open, no doors open. Still no one sitting behind her, and she's got this sense, there's someone behind me. She closes her eyes again, and suddenly she sees visually three spirits behind her. And they were three, I said, who were they? And she named these saints. We looked them up. They were saints related to this church who lived hundreds of years ago. So, you know, we said to Father, hey, you know what you've been telling us? <laughs> this is real, you know. Lorena's just experienced it. So, amazing. Do you realize that at every Mass, many miracles are happening? That's why this talk's called the miracle of the Mass. What are these miracles? Well, at the words of a mere creature, the priest, the bread and wine ceases to exist, but all their scientific properties remain. Even the tiniest particle of what our senses can perceive as bread and wine is now Christ. That is why we're very reverent. With particles that come off in our hand, make sure they are consumed. <sighs> we had a priest in our parish. He decided he's going to clean the church for Christmas. They pulled out everything, got everybody in there, and he, and he came out like his like hand like this, and he looked at me and he said, Look, it's all these particles of Eucharistic host, the lot that he picked up from the floor. Right? And we think it's the school kids. They spit it out or they you just you just say, Oh my goodness, what is our Catholic education system working? If we can't even teach our children, what about the Eucharist? Reverence for the Eucharist. Anyway, that's another story. Christ's presence is not symbolic or partial, but real and complete. He is present body, blood, soul, and divinity. Christ is truly present in the bread just as he is in heaven, alive and glorious. But 
The other miracle, Christ does not leave heaven. His existence in heaven is not multiplied, but made present, not only in one place, but in every place where Mass is being celebrated. These are great, profound mysteries. You can get cynical and not want to believe it. If you do, you miss out on the graces. If you come small, humble, well, it can be life-changing. During the Mass, we are lifted out of time into eternity to participate with the angels and saints in that one divine liturgy which is continuously being celebrated in heaven. The priest is united in the Eucharist in such a way, an exceptional way, that he receives a specific sacramental identification with Christ. That's why the priest, he's, he's like, we talk about in persona of Christ. That's why the priest stands at the altar. Everybody else kneels. Take note if you're an altar servant, please. You kneel, right, through the consecration. Only the priest stands. Through the Eucharistic sacrifice, the entire universe is united. Somewhere in the Mass, in the world right now, every part of the day, a Mass is being offered. Woe to the world when there are no Masses being offered. In, um, in the New Testament, in St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 30, St. Paul writes about the Eucharist. And he, and he quotes those beautiful lines that are in the Mass of the Consecration. Right? Let me just read you some of the last lines. Therefore, anyone who eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. So right from the early days, they are aware that you must not receive communion unworthily. And he goes on to describe what happens. Everyone is to examine himself and only then eat of the bread or drink from the cup. Because a person who eats and drinks without recognizing the body is in eating and drinking his own condemnation. If you receive communion and you are not in the state of, of, of grace, in other words, if you have mortal, unconfessed mortal sins, do not receive communion. Okay? You don't have to tell anybody. People say, why aren't you receiving communion? So I broke my fast, whatever. It's none of their business and no one should ask. But please do not receive communion in the state of mortal sin because you are bringing about, you're, you're committing another mortal sin. You're taking what is the most holy. God humbles himself as a piece of bread and you just trample all over it with your muddy boots. It's just it's an abomination, right? So if you found yourself in that position... Just go to confession and tell. Never be afraid to confess. There's no sin you can tell any priest that he hasn't heard before. Believe me. Even murder. I'm serious. The last line of this text from St. Paul. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and a good number have died. Hello? People, he's Paul saying in his time, people were dying because they received the Eucharist unworthily. I mean, you can't, you can't dilute those words. They, it's powerful stuff. If you're not sure if you're in the state of grace or not, well, you can talk about it with a, sin, uh, with, with a priest about your sin. Um, on the other hand, you, you, we, 
I'm saying this because I have a tendency to be scrupulous, right? St. Faustina was the same. She, she um, didn't go to communion because she thought she'd offended God, and she had in a little way, but it wasn't serious. And so she didn't receive communion. And Jesus said to her, you offended me more by not receiving me than by the sin that you committed. Right? Because communion will take away venial sin. Right? So don't let scruples come in and be one of those people. I'm not going to Mass on Sunday, communion on Sunday, unless I go to confession beforehand. And I've got to see the priest half an hour before Mass starts. That way I know it's, you get in all this bizarre stuff. right? So not that, right? But at the same time, it's very important not to um, receive Jesus if you're not in a state of grace. You can ask for forgiveness of your sin, but it, it needs to, you still need to confess it to the priest. That's, that's the condition, providing you confess it to the priest. You know, God knows our understanding is difficult. You know, in, in John chapter 6, He's this whole discourse, you can read it in there, about the, the, his teaching of the real presence. and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And of course, what happens? The people listening go, are you crazy? What, is he, is he talking about cannibalism or what? Um, he says, and he's, uh, what does he do? He ups the ante. He starts to, unless you do not, if, unless you eat the fresh, flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Anyone who does eat my flesh and does drink my, my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And as they start objecting, Jesus keeps up in the ante and keeps pushing it forward and forward and forward. And then what happens? At the end, they just say, some of the disciples say, this is an impossible teaching. And let me read you what happens. As he went on, this is why, um, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the outset who did not believe and who was to betray him. He then went on, this is why I told you that no one could come to me except through the gift of the Father. The next line, you ready for this? After this, many of his disciples went away and accompanied him no more. Jesus teaching on the Eucharist, he pushes the point, they object, he keeps ramming it home even more and more. And what happens? Some people say this is too much and they leave. You know what? The biblical reference for the only place in the Bible where it says they left Jesus, chapter 6, verse 66. 666. I don't think that's any coincidence. You can... There's no teaching on the church on this, but to me that just jumps out. You know, Satan hates the Eucharist, and that's where people leave Jesus, in the denial of the real presence of the Eucharist. And what does Jesus say? If he, if he was only speaking figuratively, he should have said, oh, come back, guys, hang on, you're taking me wrong. And he would reinterpret it in a way, which he does in other parts where people misunderstand him. He reinterprets it. He doesn't in this. What does he do? He turns to the apostles, turns to the 12 and says, what about you? Do you want to go? Do you want to go away too? Simon Peter, he's not really sure about what it all means, right? Because he can't, because they haven't had mass. The whole, he can't get the whole thing, right? But Peter's, Jesus is asking Peter to step out in faith, and he does. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the message of eternal life. You paraphrase that. Lord, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah. But you, I tr- I've seen you do so many miracles and I've seen you make sense of so many things in hindsight. I'm prepared to step out and I, I, I'm with you, Lord. You know? So if that's the way you think, um, then don't, don't feel too bad. But God understands our thinking. So what the Lord has done, particularly in, in recent times, in this scientific age in which we live and people uh, you know, doubt... And the statistics of the number of Catholics who do not believe in the real presence of Jesus is absolutely terrifying. If you believe in the real presence of Jesus, you will never, never again say Mass is boring. Never. I have a file at home that has 140 Eucharistic miracles listed in it. What is a Eucharistic miracle? It's where the body of Jesus turns to real flesh. The blood of Jesus turns to real blood. And science has investigated these things and man, it is just profound. You know, it's interesting that the Satanists know the difference between a consecrated host and a non-consecrated host. Do you know that? Satanists, they desecrate the Eucharist. The terrible sin. That was a terrible, terrible sin. And that's one reason why, whether you receive communion in the hand or on the tongue, you make sure you consume it right in front of the priest. Do not walk away with it in your hand. If you see someone walk away with it in their hand, you hey, stop. And you, you, you command them to, to consume it or to return it. Right? Because um, terrible things happen. Um, but it's interesting how they can tell the difference between a consecrated host and a non-consecrated host. And they used to, we're not going to talk about it because it's just pure evil. Woe to those who desecrate Jesus in the Eucharist. But as I said, if you open your awareness to what the Mass is and just, just that one fact alone that Jesus has become present, everything changes. Everything changes. I'm going to end with... Um, some um, interesting quotes of what some of the saints have said. St. John Christendom, when Mass is being celebrated, the sanctuary is filled with countless angels who adore the divine victim immolated on the altar. Countless angels. Wow. St. John Vianney said, if we really understood the Mass, we would die of joy. St. Augustine says, the angels surround and help the priest when he is celebrating Mass. St. Padre Pio said, it would be easier for the world to survive without the sun than to without the Mass. That's how important he realized the sun was. In other words, the entire cosmos is sustained by the Mass. Pope Benedict XV said, The Holy Mass would be of greater profit if people had it offered in their lifetime rather than having it celebrated them for the relief of their souls after death. What is he saying? He's saying one Mass celebrated now while on earth has got more power than people celebrating Mass for the souls in purgatory. However, having said that, the best thing you can do for your friends and relatives who have passed away is to have a Mass offered. Um, St. Padre Pio offered, you know, he used to always see souls in purgatory, he'd offer Mass. 
And he said to one man after Mass, your father has just been released from purgatory, from this Mass. And he said, Father, my father died 42 years ago. He said, maybe, but tonight he was freed. So, you know, don't forget to pray for your deceased relatives and friends because they'll pray for you. And that's why we want to live holy lives, that we don't spend 42 years in purgatory, right? But by golly, it's better than losing your soul for all eternity. Okay. St. Thomas Aquinas said, The celebration of the Holy Mass is as valuable as the death of Jesus on the cross because it's that one eternal sacrifice. It's not a repeat. St. Teresa of Avila was overwhelmed with the goodness of God and she asked our Lord, Lord, how can I thank you? And he said, Attend one Mass. That's the power of Mass. St. Peter Julian Emard said, Know, O Christian, that the Mass is the holiest act of religion. You cannot do anything to glorify God more nor profit your soul more than by devoutly assisting at Mass as often as possible. Now you could pray all day and it wouldn't equal one Mass. But that doesn't mean you say, I'll go to Mass, I'm not going to pray. It don't work that way. Happy is the guardian angel who accompanies a soul to Holy Mass. St. John Vianney, when we receive Holy Communion, we experience something extraordinary, a joy, a fragrance, a well-being that thrills the whole body and causes it to exult. I hope that's your experience of a Mass. I'll tell you what mine was today. It was just, wasn't it a beautiful Mass today? It's something special today. So we talked about preparing for Mass. Bring your intentions before the Mass. Oh, and then when you finish, don't be like the nine lepers who were healed and went out and didn't say thank you. Please, please, always thank the Lord that for the gift of Mass, for the gift of allowing him to receive you, to coming to you in Holy Communion. Please, please be thankful for the grace. Ask Our Lady to help you to receive Jesus. She prepare your heart. I say this little prayer. This is only my prayer. You take it or leave. There's nothing special about it, but this is just what I do. As I'm walking down communion, I say, Dear Mother, please prepare my heart to receive the Lord Jesus in humility, in purity, in innocence, with a heart of love and total trust and abandonment in the Lord Jesus. How long is Jesus with us when we receive communion? Until that bread breaks down and dissolves. They estimate about 15 minutes. This is the time where the God of the universe is intimately united with you. You receive communion, you're out the door in the car park. It's like, it's just, that doesn't work, does it? It just seems so against everything. Treasure that time. Spend that time with Jesus in thanksgiving. Oh, and the, the, the saints tell us that when we receive Holy Communion, they're accompanying Jesus. So while Jesus is present in us, they're actually adoring Jesus in us. They're not adoring us, but they're adoring Jesus in us. So remember the reverence that you'll you'll become like a living tabernacle as you're walking around with Jesus back to your seat. Oh, just... All right. I hope you enjoyed the presentation. God bless. That was Paul Ellard with The Miracle of the Mass. This talk was recorded at the Immaculata Mission School 2019 at the Glenny School in Toowoomba, Queensland. 
to hear more talks from Immaculata Mission Schools from years gone by and to hear other great Catholic talks, interviews and shows, head over to cradio.org.au.